I believe God that our uh, LiveGate Outreach TV audiences and uh, those who are listening to this by podcast are also being blessed where they are. And uh, every time you hear this, we believe that the Lord will continue to cause grace to be imparted unto you in the name of Jesus. We started last week our series on uh, empowered to be witnesses by divine help. Empowered to be witnesses by divine help. And um, that's the banner we will be using over the next eight more weeks now. And uh, the Lord led me through. The Lord has been dealing with me from the book of Acts for many years. Particularly in the last five years, I have virtually every year read the book of Acts through not less than 20 to 30 times. Because I be- each year, uh, and I believe that this is a book that God has... Um, uh, inspired of the Holy Spirit, written through Apostle Luke, uh, to, for the church to have a kind of a deductive and a prescriptive uh, approach to understanding the Word of God and the commission of the Christians. It is very important that we understand that Christianity is not just about us accepting a faith and accepting a way of life and then just going to heaven by it. That is just a fraction of what Christianity is. Christianity is really about living out that life that we have embraced from God and being able to manifest it to the world around us. So this series of Empowered to be Witnesses by Divine Help is one I would trust God that we will all engage with, with a seriousness and the intensity that it deserves. This is what Christianity is all about. And um, last week we started what we are doing in each of the arms of the diagram that uh, we put together there is just to help us to see how we've shaped the 28 books of uh, Acts into portions that we can look at some themes. Uh, I have said this, I said it last week, if you ask me to draw that chart again, I can do the same chapters and have different set of themes that run through. But for the sake of emphasis, for this, at this point in time, I believe God wants us to look at these particular themes. Last week, we looked at the theme of unity, empowered by unity. And we said the first four chapters of the book of Acts showed how uh, important the place of unity is. The first thing God said, Jesus said to them when he was leaving is that they should go to Jerusalem and wait. And they all went there and tarried. Not one of them was missing. And uh, the Holy Spirit came down, the Bible says, when they were all together in one accord. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. The Holy Spirit came down and he manifested through them. And then we looked at different areas of manifestation. Please listen to that message. It's on YouTube. It's not yet on iTunes, but it's on YouTube. Um, LiveGate Outreach TV, Empowered by Unity. You can follow that because it will be good for you to follow everything because one thing leads to the other and leads to the other so if you want to really get the picture of what we're doing what we've done today by the time you live here uh, make sure you do listen to the first part so today we are looking at the theme empowered which i titled empowered for strategic performance empowered for strategic performance you see we must understand something very importantly as i said christianity is about fruit bearing It's about productivity. There is a difference between activity and productivity. And we need to understand that very clearly in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is doing a lot of activity everywhere. And thank God for that. But you see, not every activity leads to productivity in the eyes of God. You can only achieve productivity when you actually come out with a product. When you come out with a fruit. That is why the Bible says, by their fruit, you shall know them. 
Jesus said, and you shall. Let's read Acts chapter eight, 1 verse 8 again. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read it together. We will be reading it throughout this week as a key scripture. Acts 1 8. Let's go together now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there are parts to that scripture. And last week I explained to you how this scripture alone uh, encapsulates the four vision objectives that we have as a church. Raising with God and for God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. We said the you in that verse refers to the pure, the called out ones. And the power that comes upon them refers to what God has said we should raise with him, a people who carry that power. And that to be witnesses means that we will be a people of purpose. And I said last week, wherever you are, whatever platform God has given you in your campus, in your school, in your workplace, in your business place, in your networks, in your neighborhood, everywhere you are, you are meant to be a witness. We are not witnesses in the church. We are brethren in the church. We go out to be witnesses. Hallelujah. You don't need to witness to me. I don't need to witness to you. We're already on the Lord's side. Amen. So this is a meeting point for empowering ourselves, coming together, allowing the Holy Spirit to endure us with that power from on high again to go forth and be witnesses. And then I said all the things that have to do with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth represents what God has given to us as our vision objective of prosperity, the spread of the word of God. Zechariah 1.17 says, through prosperity, my cities shall be spread abroad. And I said it is important that the believers who are to be witnesses are prospered in their soul. They are prospered in their spirit. First, they are born again. Then they are prospered in their soul. They have control over their emotions. They can, they master their situations. They are not a depressed people. They overcome the torment of the soul very easily. And they are also prospered in their body. They are physically agile. They are physically healthy. They can go from place to place to do the work. They are also prospered financially because the work needs to be done with finances. And they are prospered materially and so on and so forth. So we looked at that last week, and um, again, I don't want to take too much time on that. But for us to be a productive people and not just an active people, we need to understand that God has given a blueprint. Even from the book of Acts alone, we can see that God has given a blueprint for strategic performance. Strategic performance simply means that we are acting not based on random thoughts and random actions, but we are allowing the Holy Spirit to strategically or go through a system of methods that will allow us to be efficient in the delivery of our witnessing. And this is what we're going to be looking at in the, in the book of Acts that we'll be looking at today in the four chapters, chapter 5. Say with me, Acts chapter 5. Say Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 7. And Acts chapter 8. So the early church, as we go through these things, we can see that they were very, very strategic. The church continued to grow. We ended Acts chapter 4 by reminding ourselves that the church was united. And they were united, remember what we said in in Acts chapter 4, they were united in purpose and in purse. You remember that? They were united in purpose and in purse. They had one vision to keep going to declare the work. And then they were, they were also united in purse because they worked together in, in, in their welfare. They made sure that nobody lacked anything. 
And I explained last week also how that is important for us to do the work together. The grace that God's put in every one of our lives to be able to manifest the glory of God is something we ought to share to build strength and capacity in one another. Amen. 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 The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man lifts up the countenance of his friend. And so we must always continue to understand that our unity in the purse, in unity in welfare, at times it, it, it involves us having to share of our physical resources. At times it involves us having to share of our material resources, of our time together. You hear that a brother is moving home and uh, you have access to a van or you can drive a van. You don't have to wait for the brother to tell you you can come and help them. Just go ahead and do it. This is how we help each other and we make sure that we keep the commune strong so that we can be witnesses as God has ordained. However, when we get to Acts chapter 5, we start to see something that has never happened right from Acts chapter 1. The powerful church, the united church, the church that was looking seemingly unstoppable, suddenly had a very little crack that the Holy Spirit had to check. This is why we read Acts chapter 5 from the top. So the very first thing I would like us to see as the strategic performance measure that the Holy Spirit put in place in Acts chapter 5 is that there was sanctification and victory over opposition. Say with me, sanctification Sanctification. and victory victory. over opposition. Now, Acts chapter 5, we don't need to read it again. We read the whole chapter, I mean, we read the first 32 verses of the chapter. But a couple called Ananias, simply referred to as Ananias and Sapphira, decided to break the code, unfortunately. The code was that you sell the land you have, you bring it to the apostles' feet, and uh, we ended Acts chapter uh, chapter 4 with Barnabas giving the example of selling his own land and bringing it to the apostles' feet. But Ananias did the same thing in Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But the Bible says he kept part, back part of the money. And uh, when Peter was addressing Ananias, he didn't say to him, that, why are you lying to us? He said, why are you lying? Why have you agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit? And the wife came, said the same thing, and we know what happened, that they both died by the Holy Spirit. And that simply means that The Holy Spirit was out to raise a church that was truly without a spot or blemish. And up till now, the Holy Spirit is still seeking to raise a church that is without a spot or blemish. Amen. Amen. The lying spirit. Why was the Holy Spirit so uh, ferocious against the lying spirit? Why was the Holy Spirit so intentional to get the lying spirit out as quickly as possible? If you remember and you go back to the Garden of Eden, it was the spirit that deceived man. He said that you shall not die. God had told them that the day that eat of it, they shall die. If you read Genesis chapter 3 again, the Bible says the devil said to the woman, you shall not die. That was a lie. They did die. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. Their relationship with God was broken. And we know that story very well. So when the church... That is the called out ones, the new ecclesia that was supposed to now begin to manifest to the world, began in a way to entertain lie. The Holy Spirit had to be very decisive. And I want us to know till today that we may not be seeing people drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira, but the Holy Spirit is still as grieved about every lying spirit. The lying spirit in our generation may not necessarily be that we hold back part of 
whatever we are supposed to have as a vow unto God, that is something, but it's not only the only thing. The lying spirit also involves how we deal with each other. If we don't deal with each other in honesty and in truthfulness and in trust, then we are entertaining the lying spirit. If we don't allow ourselves to just let the Holy Spirit be the all in all that binds us together, then we are allowing the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 8 verse 44 that the devil is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. That when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his native language. He speaks of his own or his own resources. But I want us to quickly look at 1 Peter chapter 4 from verse 17. Talking about the judgment that is coming right now. He said, for the time has come for judgment to do what? To begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18. Say, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let's read verse 19 together. Very loud and clear. Everybody together. Let's go. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He said, let those, that is you and I, let everyone who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls. Commit their souls to him in doing good. You see, many times lies are told and we are being untruthful because we are looking for a way, we are compromising because we are looking for an easy way out. Many times people have to tell lies or people, not, they, not that they have to tell lies, people tell lies because they are looking for an easy way out. And we must understand that whatever it is that wants to put us in a lying spirit or obedience to a lying spirit, we have to fight it and resist it. If I am committed to the things of God in this place and I make my commitment unto God, I must not allow, when I'm falling short of that, I must not allow the spirit of lies to take over and make me not want to admit my own fall, uh, areas of falling short and receive help. You see, Jesus will look at a crippled man and say, what do you want me to do for you? He looked at a blind man and said, what do you want me to do for you? He looked at the man that had been lame for 38 years in John chapter 5 and said, what do you want me to do for you? That question is very interesting. He asks it all across the world even till today. He's asking you and I, what do you want me to do for you? So everywhere we find ourselves falling short, rather than trying to make it up with a lying spirit and deceiving ourselves, we must be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Whatever your shortcoming, whatever my shortcoming, whatever my weakness, we must know how. Paul said, this wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? We must understand that it is not lies and deception and the things that we do to cop out and to just make it easy for us to get away from the pressure of that change that we desire that should keep us. Rather, we should be willing to surrender unto the Lord God Almighty so that he can truly help us. Sanctification is about surrendering to the God who sanctifies. Hallelujah. So the Bible says, let all those, which includes you and I, who suffer according to the will of God, commit. Say to your neighbor for me, I will commit. Say, I will commit my soul to him. This is the only way out. And so the first church 
The early church was a church that had to sincerely commit, and the Holy Spirit did the work of purging. And as we read on the chapter, we saw that opposition came because miracles were happening through their hands, and then opposition came, and God continued to give them victory. We didn't read the very last part of Acts chapter 5, but when you do have time, please, these four chapters are your reading chapters this week, Acts chapter 5 to Acts chapter 8. Make sure you read them very well. And um, God used a man called Gamaliel to deliver them from the hand of the Jews that were attempting to uh, put them into prison. They put them into prison. They came out of prison by supernatural intervention. And uh, God also made sure that the man Gamaliel was used, the man who was respected teacher of the law, was used of God mightily to wisely tell them to leave them alone, that if it is something that is of God, it shall stand. You see that if you have, he said to them, if you are fighting what God is in, then you will be fighting against God. <laughs> so there is no need you fight against God. You might as well leave them and let them be. He said, if it is not of God, it shall fall. And this is the true test of any one church today. I want you to know that any one assembly of God, planted of God, cannot, and I repeat, cannot be destroyed by the enemy. I say it cannot be destroyed. Otherwise, we make Jesus a liar. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as long as it is his church, everyone that is a part of that church must put their mind at rest. Hallelujah. Because he continues to do the building as we follow. Hallelujah. So we can read also, when you have time, read Joshua chapter 7. There was a story of a man called Achan who stole something that was, uh, he, was not, he was required not to do. And we know that that led to a weakness so much so that the children of Israel were being uh, overcome by a, a smaller army, as it were. So sin is a pollution, and the church of God must continue to fight every intrusion of sin and every device of the enemy to bring sin. Sin is not just when people commit murder or commit adultery or fornication or stealing and do armed robbery, bank robbery, those things that are very headline-ish. That's not, that's not where sin ends. Those are sins, but sin is everything we do to compromise the standard of the word of God. The little malice here and there, the little bitterness here and there, the anger, the things that we do that are very subtle, that we don't even express, that only God knows is in our heart. Those are also sins. So we must continue to know how to let our lives be truly committed, our souls be truly committed to God, so that the Holy Spirit will continue to use us. Ananias and Sapphira would have been like any other couple in the days of the Acts of the Apostles. They would have been like any other couple that would have been mightily used of God, but they fell short because they allowed sin. May God continue to help us to overcome in the name of Jesus. The second thing is in Acts chapter 6, which is, say with me, graceful administration and spiritual wisdom. Now, these are my own definitions. You won't find it anywhere, so write it down. It's graceful administration and spiritual wisdom. Acts chapter 6. I look at this chapter, one of the shortest of the chapters, of the four chapters we're looking at today. And I very, very am thrilled about what happened in the, in the short uh, uh, rendition of that um, uh, context. You see, the enemy was beginning to take advantage. The church was winning. Ananias and Sapphira, the lying spirit had been taken out. The church was overcoming. They put them in prison. They came out and things were going okay. And then suddenly, from within, somebody say from within. from within, 
the Hellenists, or who those were that were known as the Grecian Jews, the Jews that were not of the Hebrew descent directly, but who were from the other tribes, mostly the Greeks, began they, their widows were were observed to be neglected, and an issue was going to be made out of it, and it was almost going to stain the church, so much so that the apostles had to at, attend to it. And again, if you read from Acts chapter six. From verse 1 to verse 5, the Bible says they now took action and uh, they made sure that the enemy did not do that. But let's read from verse 7. Let's read from verse 7. It says, Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied. Somebody say it multiplied. It multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were, what? Obedient to the faith. Verse 8. Let's read verse 8 together. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did what? Great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of what? Freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia doing what? Disputing with Stephen. Verse 10. Let's shout verse 10 together. It's very interesting. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. This is why I said supernatural wisdom. In this place, we see God enabling the church to have two key things. The first thing is that he gave them a special grace to specially administer the office or uh, institute and administer the office of deacons to address a matter that was going to be divisive. And the body of Christ must learn from this today. From time to time, there will be internal squabbles, internal cries of neglect of one thing or the other. It is natural to the church. Unfortunately, what tends to happen many times is that instead of the church allowing the Holy Spirit like it did in the early church, to lead, to be patient with the Holy Spirit, to work things out, what people tend to do from church to church, in many cases in our day and time, is they get impatient and they leave, or they cause havoc and just do things and cause trouble. This happens globally. And it is just a lack of wisdom of the today's church, not going back to what the, acts of what the apostles did in the book of the Acts of Apostles, where they said, look, we are apostles, we are called of God, to concentrate on the ministry of the word and prayer. We must know how to have a devolved administration of people who will look after matters of the table. And this is why seven people, Stephen, Philip, and the other five, as I always just list them, because to be quite frank, Stephen and Philip are probably the most notable you need to remember in that lot. As, as they, were, they were appointed as deacons, but you see, the truth of the matter is that it is the same wisdom that we need even in our times today. And so anytime we find that there is an internal squabble within our groups, within the church, within even our own families, we must understand that there must be the wisdom of God to supernaturally administer the physical logistics and things that need to be put in place for that particular matter to be addressed. Amen. Let us never take anything for granted. If the apostles had overlooked what the enemy was trying to do at that time, it would have led to a division of the church that was not of God. Praise the Lord. 
But the Bible says they chose Stephen, they chose Philip, and they chose some other five, like the likes of Nicanor and so on, to be the people who were going to be the people who would now serve the tables. And so the church was multiplying. That's what we read in verse 7. The church was multiplying because everything was working again. But suddenly, one of the anointed ones, Stephen, began to manifest, and then opposition rose against him. And so what I'm trying to say this is that whatever the state of the church is, however the situation is per time, opposition is always something. That's why Jesus categorically, when he first spoke about church, he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gate, I see it like crossing a gate. How many of you have gone to a very, very, let, let's say like you've gone to a place like um, Buckingham Palace is probably an example. Not too many gates there, but yeah, maybe Buckingham Palace. There, there is a, a, a bit of series of gates there. The way I see it is that you cross a gate and then you, you are okay. As you are going on, you cross another gate and as you are going on, you cross another gate. That is how I see those gates that Jesus talked about. Till we meet Jesus, until we get perfected and become the body of Christ that God wants us to be in totality of holiness and perfection, when he appears, we are going to be crossing a series of gates. There will be opposing gates. They will tend to divide. They will tend to divide. They will tend to crush. They will tend to make us give up personally, even give up as a church. We must understand that we need the same way the Holy Spirit worked the wisdom of God in the likes of Stephen to keep overcoming these. Let's read verse 10 again. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Two things there. The wisdom and the spirit. He was not a man that was speaking out of sense knowledge. He was speaking by the spirit. May God continue to help us to speak in wisdom and by the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. And so these ordinations were very important. We need to understand that what was happening here also marked the birth of the revival that was about to happen. And everyone who was ordained of God began to walk in the goodness of God, in the grace of the office wherein they have been called. I'm going to go straight to Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine. I want us to read verse twelve. Please go to verse twelve. Verse twelve. The Bible says, "For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding." Somebody says, "Abounding." abounding. You see, the Bible was talking about the seeds that we sow, and it said. Every one of us, we have, God supplies us seed as the sower and bread for food. And the Bible says that God can multiply the seed that we have sown and also increase the fruit of our righteousness. What I want us to understand is that every one of us has been given a grace by God to function. Stephen was not one of the original apostles, but God, who extended the grace of deaconship to him, supplied him also with the grace to abound. So he was a master at the serving of the tables because we never heard a problem about the serving of the tables anymore. But much more than that, Stephen also became supernaturally endowed with wisdom as he engaged with the work of service. What I'm trying to say to you, friends, is that you are underrating yourself as a person when you think you have no anointing on you to do more than what you can do right now. 
I want you to understand that the place of stepping out and doing what God has called you to do is a place of release of power. We would never have known about Stephen if not that he offered himself to work as a deacon. The moment he offered to work as a deacon, this chap who was never part of the twelve, this chap who was not one of those who walked with Jesus, as it were, this chap who was not really one of those who, if I, if I, they were all of the Christian sect. They were not even those who were of the original Jewish sect. So this chap suddenly drew down the resources of heaven. And I have found this in my own little experience of church life. That all you need to do is to step out to serve God. Well, I was many years ago, I was a much younger person. My voice was much better than this. And um, I, I got to a church and they didn't have a worship leader. There was instruments and a good worship band. But then I first Sunday, I thought that maybe the worship leaders traveled. So the next Sunday I came, I found that they didn't have a worship leader. And then the next Sunday, there was no worship leader. And people were just singing at random. And I just went with boldness. I went to the pastor. I said, I want to be leading worship in this church. (laughs) You know, when you are young, you don't don't even care about many things. It's not like these days that you'll be thinking, maybe they'll be offended. I didn't even think of all that. And the man of God said, why not? Why not? I said, can you sing? I said, I'm not sure, but I think I, I will do something. And that was it. I just went ahead and I began. And as I began to sing, the more I sang, the more I found that my voice was getting better. The more I found that what I did not train for, I was now able to do. And then God now brought two other young men to support the team. And before we knew it, we had one of the strongest bands that was in that area at that time. I have learned from that singular experience and many more, but that one experience that with God, all you need to do is to step out. I see stepping out like a tap that turns on the grace of God. When you step out, it's like a tap is turned and the grace of God is released on you in such a supernatural way. The Bible says that Stephen was endowed with wisdom and the spirit and the people could not resist it. Of course, we knew that they later on falsely accused Stephen and uh, they charged him and brought him before the council and Whilst they thought they were about to kill Stephen, which they eventually did, they, 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 they martyred him. While they thought they were doing that against the church, they didn't know that that was a setup by God to allow a young man called Saul to emerge. Hallelujah. And so we go to the third thing in Acts chapter 7. I caption Acts chapter 7, engaging the sword of the spirit. What is Acts chapter 5? sanctification and victory over opposition acts chapter 6 graceful administration and and what spiritual wisdom spiritual wisdom you remind me of some of my students many years ago when they didn't know the answer they shook their mouth as if they were saying something You know, when you're a teacher, you're looking around for everybody to respond. When they didn't know and they, you look at their direction, they will shake their mouth. <laughs> when they have not said anything. Okay. Acts chapter 6 is what? Spiritual, uh, graceful administration and spiritual wisdom. Please read Acts chapter 6 and see how God gave Stephen that wisdom that we're talking about. Acts chapter 7, I want to tie to engaging the sword of the spirit this is the chapter in the bible where this man stephen manifested one of the greatest 
abilities that we saw a human being display in the scriptures. This man, from the head, without any text, without any prompting, was asked one simple question in Acts chapter 7 verse 1. That are these charges against you true? And Stephen began to recite virtually the entire Old Testament by giving to them what happened from the time Abraham was called out of the land of the Chaldeans and how he came into Haran with his father and then his father died and God called him out. And then he told them about how God told Abraham that his children and his great-grandchildren and his children to come, his descendants will be in a, a land of Egypt and held in captivity for 400 years. And he also told them about Moses, how Moses was born in Acts 7 verse 20. You can note that. The whole of Acts 7, please read. He told them about, Acts, uh, about Moses in Acts 7 20, that Moses was no ordinary child and how Moses was raised of God to deliver the children of Israel and so on. Then he ended up that message by talking about the temple that David decided to build after they, they, they had got to the promised land. But that God said that his son Solomon was going to build and Solomon eventually built. And then he began to tell them that this is what the Holy Spirit desires, that we become the temples. But rather than them accepting that, they were now crucifying the Lord of glory and they are resisting the move of the Holy Spirit. And they got very furious with him. Let's read Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Acts chapter 7 verse 54, the Bible says, let's go together. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Let's go to verse 57 now. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with what? With one accord. Let's read verse 58 together and see what God did to twist things around. Verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses did what? Laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The Bible says Saul was there consenting to the death of Stephen. They thought they were martyring, they were killing a person, they were making a martyr of Stephen, but they did not know that what they were doing is they were introducing a transition that was going to spark. Don't forget, all this while they were in Jerusalem. They have been doing the work of the gospel, but they were all in Jerusalem. But what did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said what? But you shall, and, the, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In what? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So up to this point, they were still in Jerusalem. But this young man named Saul, who was there consenting to the death of Stephen, by supernatural and divine arrangement, was set up by God to be the one that will instigate the push of the church out of Jerusalem. This is what takes us to Acts chapter 8. But we must understand that what prompted all this is the sword of the spirit that um, Stephen used. The word of God that he declared. We must learn how to use the word of God as an offensive weapon. Many of us read Ephesians chapter 6. And we can turn to that very quickly. Ephesians chapter 6. 
And many of us understand the armor of God to resist the devil. He said, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11. Verse 11, go quickly. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, the word against there always puts in us a default mentality of resistance, which is true. And so we know about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace. We know about that, the shield of faith. We know about the helmet of salvation. But we do not many times understand the place of the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says, and the sword of the Spirit. Go to verse 12, uh, verse 17. He said, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God. A believer generation that does not understand the offensive nature of the word of God will continue to suffer in, in, in the place of only resisting the devil. Resisting the devil is part of the warfare, but also launching an attack against the devil is the significant part. Stephen did not resist the devil by just simply telling them the promises of God to protect him. He launched an attack and told them what God intended to do and how they were resisting, and that provoked something of the spirit. Every time, every time that we use the word of God, every time we declare the word of God, we evoke the will of God. Every time you declare the word of God over your circumstance and situation, you evoke, you bring down, you make manifest the will of God. The word and the will of God are inseparable. So when you want to see something happen in your situation and you want to see a change, you must keep declaring what the word of God says. You must open your mouth. The Bible says in Psalm 84 verse 10, he said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You must make up your mind to know what to declare about the word of God. And as you declare the word of God, you see God. The Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. If you also say, let there be light, there will be light. Hallelujah. Whatever you want to see, you say. Stop letting the devil make you say what you feel. Stop letting the devil make you accept the only things that are thrown against you. Because you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stephen was not afraid to be martyred because he knew that he was right in the will of God. If you read the very last part of Acts chapter 7, the Bible says, he said, Lord, don't hold this charge to, their, to, to, to them, to their account. Don't hold it to their account because it's not about them. I have run my race, basically. I have fulfilled my purpose, basically. As a child of God, we must know how to be decisive in using the word of God. And it starts with us knowing the word and knowing it effectively. Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says the word of God is quick. It is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. We must never allow situations of life to let us be thrown aside. David was confronted by Goliath and everybody else was running back. He declared the word of God. He said, who is this one who is defying the armies of the living God? And then he began to say what he was going to do about him. The church must know how to keep using the sword of the spirit. I say we must know how to keep using the sword of the spirit. We must never allow the situations that we see to limit us. We have to keep declaring what God says. And we shall have everything he has promised in the name of Jesus. Although Stephen was martyred upon these truths, the Holy Spirit used this very occasion to announce Saul. 
who was to become very pivotal in the next wave of revival. And I'll close on Acts chapter 8, which we know. I, th- I theme Acts chapter 8, supernatural evangelism and resistance to demonic influence. Write that down. Supernatural evangelism and resistance to demonic influence. Please take time to read these chapters. And particularly Acts chapter 8, we see something that was very interesting. The Bible says, Saul now took it upon himself and he began to breed threats against the church. And many of them were dispersed. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Many of them were scattered. For the first time they left Jerusalem, which was God's intention. Saul thought he was just doing something. I was sharing with a friend yesterday, just thinking about this message. I said it was interesting. Saul scattered the believers in an attempt to be killing all of them. But if you go to Acts chapter 15, he was now pastoring churches in those same places he scattered believers. (laughs) He was now the apostle that was pastoring churches there and wanted to go back to visit some other ones where he scattered them to originally. Somebody said, this God is a wise God. It's very interesting. The Bible says, therefore, those who were scattered went where? Everywhere. They no longer stayed in Jerusalem. Friends, I want you to know that whatever the devil thinks he's doing at any point in time, when he thinks he scatters, all he has done is to empower. I say, all he has done is to empower. (laughs) Hallelujah. I have seen it many times in my personal life. When something is denied me, a job was denied me many years ago. I mean, a few jobs have been denied me, but one was so atrociously denied me. For no just cause, somebody just said I wasn't going to get that job. I was only 23. Just starting out life, it was a very harsh treatment. But when I look back over those years and I see how God used that opposition to bring about a series of liftings in my life, I can only go and say, Lord, I thank you. So when that person said they are not going to marry you and you cried and cried and cried and cried and you did not stop crying, you are wasting your time. The person who will love you will marry you. I said the person who will love you will marry you. Do you want the person that doesn't love you to marry you? (laughs) So why are you you crying? If they say they are leaving you alone, let them go. Somebody say let them go. If they say they don't like your face anymore, tell them thank you very much. God bless you. Bye. Say bye. It's a very short word to say. Just say bye. (laughs) Hallelujah. The man or woman who will love you will appreciate you every day he, will want, he or she will want to be with you. Hallelujah. That's how it works. That's how it works. So we must understand when the devil thinks he's doing something to you, don't sit there mourning and crying. The devil thought he was scattering the church, but the Bible says they were scattered and they went where? Everywhere. Preaching the word, becoming the witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth as God had already ordained. Hallelujah. May God continue to perform his counsel in your life. So it became a supernatural evangelism. It became a supernatural and uh, uh, a totally uh, transformed lifestyle of evangelism. It was no more systematic. It was no more planned. It was no more as they had lined it up. It was no more in their own natural strategy. God took it over. He scattered them and they began to preach everywhere. 
Time will fail us to read the details of Acts chapter 8, but if you read through Acts chapter 8, you see things happen. They went to Samaria. They met a magician called Simon the sorcerer. And God used them to overcome the, the devices of Simon the sorcerer in that land. And many people were saved. Towards the end of the chapter, God supernaturally told Philip to go and join himself to a chariot of somebody that was just simply known as the Egyptian eunuch. And the, the Ethiopian, thank you, sir. Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch was transformed of God. And this man became a baptized servant of God. And history has it that he was one of those who took back the real gospel back to Africa. Hallelujah. And so we know that there are things that God does in our lives at times we may not be able to explain. But I want to encourage and challenge everybody that whatever God is doing per time, take it seriously. Take it knowing that all things are working together for your good. And the Lord will continue to perfect all that concerns you. I say he will continue to perfect all that concerns you in the name of Jesus. Never let whatever the devil is doing in your life make you cry again. Believe me, never allow the devil put tears on your face. Let the tears that come out of your eyes only be tears of joy. Anytime the devil is trying to do anything to make life difficult for you, come out of it and begin to sing songs. Come out of it and refuse to have your head hung down. And the devil will give up concerning you in the name of Jesus. Because God will cause everything the enemy is doing around you to work together for your good. I say to work together for your good. In the mighty name of Jesus. There are things that God wants to do in your life. And until certain things that may look negative happen... Those things will not necessarily come to pass. God knows what he's doing. Walk with God. Cooperate with God. And watch God work out the best for you. Amen. Just like he did for his early church, he will work out the best for you. Amen. I say he will work out the best for all of us. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I close with you on Romans chapter 12. I just want you to know that we are empowered for strategic performance. However, the efficacy of our output is down to how we individually engage. What you do, what I do, is key. The revival we are talking about is not going to happen by wishing others do it. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. The Bible says, having then gifts. Let's read it together. That's the last scripture I assure you. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us what? Use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith verse 7 or ministry verse 7 or ministry let us use it in our ministry he who teaches in teaching verse 8 he who exhorts in exhortation he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness Many of us talk about prophecy and all those things, but you see these gifts in verse 8 are also very, very important. If you exhort, do it, use it in exhortation. If you give, give with liberality. Friends, not everybody will have the capacity to give at the same level. The moment you understand that your life is being set up, I believe that I am being raised by the special grace of God as I follow my father, King David. To be one of those that will still give heavily to the things of God in this lifetime. So I'm setting myself up for it. My father David gave gold for gold. I like that man. 
They said they need gold here. They said, don't just try and put bronze. They said, is it gold you need? Everywhere they needed gold in the temple, he gave the gold for it. Silver for silver. Read First Chronicles chapter 29. Very impressive. And I believe that God's grace rests on us. For li- the Bible says, if you have a gift, uh, a, a, an ability to give, do it liberally. Don't say, ah, every time I look at that church, what I see people give is 10 pounds. So me too, I'll give 10 pounds. <laughs> if you have the order to give 1,000, don't give 10 pounds. That is how it is. If the grace of God upon your life is to give in the hundreds, don't deny yourself of, of God's grace. Because as you give to that level, God supplies you at that level. Amen. He said, he who leads, do it with diligence. You are a leader. You must do it diligently. You must not be, pro- you must not be uh, uh, prompted to lead. You lead by diligence. You lead by intentionally. Every role of work God gives to you to do, do it intentionally. Somebody say intentionally. He said, if you are showing mercy, show it with cheerfulness. These are the things that we must do to make sure that we are strategically performing as the Holy Spirit desires us to be witnesses. I pray that the church of God in this land will continue to experience the goodness of God in the name of Jesus. I want you and I to be focused in understanding that we are key in this end time. The work of God is not going to be done by others. It's going to be done by you. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's going to be done by you and me. Say, you and I will do it together to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Let's rise to our feet and commit those words to God's hands.